Um, we're going to read first in Spanish, then in English, and this is an experience. Again, John is sharing with us, the early church leader John is sharing his visions, spirit-filled and spirit-inspired visions, and so we want to understand it. Es una visión de otra experiencia inspirada del Espíritu Santo que dio a Juan. Así dice la palabra del Señor. Luego miré y apareció el Cordero. Estaba de pie sobre el monte Sion, en compañía de 144 mil personas que llevaban escrito en la frente el nombre del Cordero y de su padre. Oí un sonido que venía del cielo como el estruendo de una catarata y el retumbar de un gran trueno. El sonido se parecía al de músicos que tañen sus arpas y cantaban un himno nuevo delante del trono y delante de los cuatro seres vivientes y de los ancianos. Nadie podía aprender aquel himno aparte de los 144 mil que habían sido rescatados de la tierra. Estos se mantuvieron puros sin contaminarse con ritos sexuales. Son los que siguen al cordero por donde quiera que va. Fueron rescatados como los primeros frutos de la humanidad para Dios y el cordero. No se encontró mentira alguna en su boca, pues son intachables. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So as we come to chapter 14 here, um, immediately... As I've read this, what comes to mind is a very old children's song that many of you probably know. Al mirar esto me viene a la mente una canción vieja infantil. It goes like this. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Right? Maria tenía un cordero. Era blanco como la nieve. A donde quiera que Maria va, el cordero va detrás. You know the story of the song, right? Conocen la historia. There's this lamb, and this lamb uh, loves Mary. This lamb uh, depends on Mary. This lamb worships Mary, and this lamb sticks to Mary like glue because Mary is her whole world. Este cordero sigue a María, depende de María, adora a María, y se aferra a María. That's the song. Mary had a little lamb in a nutshell, right? Well, here in chapter 14, of Revelation, I think we find a twist on that song. Encontramos algo diferente aquí. And it starts with this scene where we find the Lamb. That's Jesus, of course, and he's standing in Mount Zion. He's standing in the city of Jerusalem. Jesús el Cordero está en la ciudad de Jerusalén. 
And it says that accompanying him, there is a flock of 144,000 people. Hay 144 personas en su rebaño. And there's all of this heavenly noise going on, thunder and all of that. And these 144,000 come in and they are singing a song. They're marching into Jerusalem singing. Los 144,000 entran en Jerusalén cantando una canción. But it says it's a new song. And no one else knows. Es un nuevo canto. This is not a song about a lamb following a person like Mary. It's a song about people following a lamb. No se trata de un cordero que siga una persona, sino de personas siguiendo al cordero. Look at verse 4. There's a peculiar phrase that just stands out to me. It says, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Son los que siguen al cordero por donde quiera que va. So these 144,000, we've met them before, actually. A few weeks ago, Greg talked about them in chapter 7 of Revelation. Ya nos encontramos con esos 144,000 en capítulo 7. And there in chapter 7, we, we heard that they were waiting to receive the seal of God upon their foreheads, the mark of God. Estaban esperando recibir el sello, la marca de Dios en su frente. Well, here we find, as they march into Jerusalem, verse 1 says, they have that seal. They have the name of the Lamb and the name of His Father as a mark upon their forehead. Tienen el nombre del Padre y del Cordero como marca en su frente. What's going on with that? Well, there are a couple things that I think we need to say about it. First of all, this is tying to something way back in the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. If you want to look at it, you can say, Ata a Deuteronomio 6, 8. But there we learn that those who are commanded to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength are to do something strange. They are to tie that commandment to love God above all on their foreheads and they're to tie it on their hands as a mark, as a symbol. Los que aman a Dios deben atar esas palabras en su frente, en su mano como símbolo, como marca. So these 144,000, they love God with all their heart. But there's also something else we need to see here. Hay otra cosa para ver. And that is that this is a contrast from the end of chapter 13. At the end of chapter 13, last week, we were reading about people who do what? They carry the mark of the beast, of the evil powers that are at work in the world. Hay los que llevan la marca de la bestia, los poderes malvados del mundo. And where do they carry that mark? On their forehead on their hands en la frente la mano tienen esta marca they are the ones who worship the beast but now we have those who worship the lamb and who worship the father ahora son los que adoran al, uh, al padre who are these well these are the believers who have faithfully followed Jesus through their lives wherever he's taken them son los que han seguido a Jesús en su vida they've run the race of faith han corrido la carrera de la fe. They have been good soldiers of Jesus. Son buenos soldados, soldados de Jesús. And then in verse 4 we are told that these are the first fruits of a harvest. 
that is yet to come. Somos los primeros frutos de una gran cosecha. What's this harvest all about? We'll find out in a minute. But as this 144,000, this group, comes into Zion singing, rejoicing, praising God, they are actually following an old biblical tradition of rejoicing at the coming harvest. Están cantando como en tiempos bíblicos, regocijándose de la cosecha. They're getting ready for a big harvest. Now the harvest we're seeing here is not a harvest of the kind of stuff we have in our valley. It's not a harvest of, of cotton or of almonds or of oranges or of grapes. No es una cosecha de algodón o almendras o naranjas. No. This is talking about a harvest of people. It's a harvest of people. It's una cosecha de las personas. And as these 144,000 are rejoicing and singing and getting ready to celebrate the harvest, it harkens back to something we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Miremos Hebreos 12, 1. There it says, there is this group called a great cloud of witnesses. Hay una multitud de testigos. These are the Christians who've gone before. So los que han ido adelante. And it says this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Por tanto, nosotros que estamos rodeados de una multitud tan grande de testigos, despojémonos el lastre que nos estorba, el pecado que nos asedia y corramos con perseverancia la carrera que tenemos por delante. And then it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fijemos la mirada en Jesús, el iniciador y perfeccionador de nuestra fe. So I think there's a connection between this cloud of witnesses and the 144,000. They are cheering for the final harvest, but they are also by their testimony showing us, showing God's people what it takes to get ready for the harvest. Nos muestran lo que hay que hacer para estar listos para la cosecha. And it's found in verses 4 and 5 of Revelation 14. How do you get ready for the harvest? Well, be like these ones. They, they did not engage in ritual sexual immorality, in idolatry. They told the truth. And above all, above all, they followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They fixed their eyes on Jesus. No se metían en la inmoralidad sexual, la idolatría, las mentiras, sino que seguían al cordero donde quiera que iba. Now from there we got kind of a change of scenery. Starting in verse 6, versículo 6 hay un cambio de escenario and we find here three angels that come run one right after the other. Hay tres ángeles que vienen uno tras otro. First of all in verse 6, I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Había otro ángel que volaba en medio del cielo y llevaba el evangelio eterno para anunciar a los que viven en la tierra, a toda raza, lengua, nación, y pueblo. So the first angel's kind of up there in between heaven and earth, shouting out God's good news. Está anunciando este ángel las buenas noticias de Dios. And what is the good news? What is that eternal gospel? Verse 7. The angel said in a loud voice, Fear God. 
Give him glory. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Teman a Dios, denle gloria. Dice, adoren al que hizo el cielo, la tierra, el mar, y los manantiales. Worship God while you can. I like what we were just singing, right? We are worshiping God now, not just later. This is calling people to the worship and the honor of God. Get connected to God. Get connected to the Lamb. Conectense con Dios y con el Cordero. Why? Because the great hour of judgment is coming. Viene el juicio. El día de Dios. Now, here we are at the end of the seven trumpets, right? The seven trumpets, the seventh trumpet takes us to the culmination of human history. And we said before that at the culmination of human history, there is this thing called the day of judgment, the day of God's wrath. A la cumbre de las siete trompetas, al día del juicio de Dios. Now, in the Bible, when it talks about the day of judgment or the day of the Lord or the day of God's wrath, many times the imagery of a harvest is connected to it. This is the great harvest that's coming. La cosecha es una imagen conectada con el gran juicio de Dios. Time is running out. Se nos está acabando el tiempo and yet God in his infinite mercy wants more people to hear the news. He wants everyone to have a chance to hear his good news and so he sends this angel out to proclaim to everyone Turn back, fear God, come to him before it is too late, before time is up. El ángel está proclamando, vengan a Dios antes que sea demasiado tarde. And then in verse 8 we have the second angel. El segundo ángel está en ocho. A second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. El segundo ángel grita, ya cayó, ya cayó la gran Babilonia la que hizo que todas las naciones bebieran el excitante vino de su adulterio. So the second angel has good news too. Hay buenas noticias aquí también. It's, it's just good news of a different type. What's the good news? Babylon's reign of terror is over. Ya no va a reinar Babilonia. What's Babylon? Who's Babylon? We're going to see more about this in chapters 17 through 19. Vamos a ver más de eso en capítulos 17 al 19. But Babylon is basically connected here with Rome. The power of the world of that time. Se conecta con Roma, el poder del mundo. But Babylon, we must understand, is not just Rome. Babylon is every evil empire and every evil force that has opposed the plan of God in the world from the beginning until this day. Babylon is still around. Babylon hasn't fallen yet, but it's going down. Babilonia es todo poder que se opone a Dios y va a caer algún día. If we go back to Psalm number 2 in the Old Testament, we learn about this. El Salmo 2, Psalm 2, verse 2, it says the king's of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. There are these forces that are against God in the world. Los reyes de la tierra se rebelan, los gobernantes se confabulan contra el Señor y contra su ungido. And yet it says in Psalm 2:4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. 
Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. He judges them. El rey de los cielos se ríe, se burla de ellos y en su enojo los reprenda y en su furor los intimida, los juzga. And then he says this, here's the deal. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Establecido a mi rey sobre Sion, mi monte santo. Who is the king? Who is the anointed one? who is going to defeat every evil force and every evil power that the world would throw at us, it is Jesus the Lamb. Jesus el Cordero. He's the king. He's the one who's now standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000. And he's going to depose and dethrone Babylon. El va a destronar a Babilonia. And then we come to the third angel. In verses 9 and at the beginning of verse 10, después el tercer ángel, ángel, verso 9, it says the third angel followed and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Si alguien adora la bestia, dice el ángel, y a su imagen, y se deja poner en la frente, o en la mano la marca de la bestia beberá también del vino del furor de Dios que en la copa de su ira está puro no diluido. What this is saying is that really we need to understand the terrain of the spiritual battle going on in our world. And as I've said other times, we are the battlefield and we are the prize and there are really only two alternatives in the end. Hay solo dos alternativas. Follow the Lamb. Trust in the Lamb. Believe in the Lamb. Jesus, receive His mark on your forehead, on your hand. That is, worship Him with all you have. Dedicate your life to Him. Siguen al Cordero. Reciban su marca en la frente y en la mano. Or, you must understand, you are following the beast. And if you follow the beast, you will be marked by him on your forehead and your hand. You will be going in his direction. You will be serving his kingdom, even though you may not know it. O siguen a la bestia, porque van a estar sirviendo a su reino, teniendo la marca de, en la frente y en la mano. So this is, this is saying there's a real, clear-cut determination to be made. Choose life, eternal life. Or by not choosing, you are choosing to be attached to the beast and you are choosing destruction. Escojan vida, vida eterna, o están escogiendo la destrucción eterna. We get a picture of that, a very sobering, frightful picture at the end of verse 10 and into verse 11. Vemos esto en versículos 10 y 11. This is the destiny of those who, who are worshiping evil, worshiping the beast. It says, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Serán atormentados con fuego y azufre en presencia de los santos ángeles y del cordero. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the image are the beast and his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. El humo de este tormento sube por los siglos de los siglos. No habrá descanso ni día de noche para los que adoren a la bestia a su imagen ni para quien se deje poner la marca de su nombre. 
So it is a sobering picture, isn't it? As I look at this picture, I realize that this picture should, should motivate us in a couple of ways. Esta imagen nos debe motivar. First of all, it should motivate in us hatred, rejection of the beast and of the dragon. That is Satan, who is behind it all. Debemos rechazar y odiar a la bestia, a Satanás y el dragón. And it should also inspire in us tremendous compassion for people who are listening to the lies of the beast and attaching themselves to the ways of the beast. We should be up there with that angel shouting it out. Fear God. Worship Him. Come to Him. Love Him. Debemos estar con el ángel gritando con compasión a los que se están perdiendo. This is not a scene I like to preach about. In fact, people have trouble with this. They say, what's the deal? The lamb is there watching the torment of the, of the people who are connected with the beast. El cordero está viendo la, el tormento de los que están conectados con la bestia. Is, is, does that mean that God is just like delighting in the punishment of people? Dios se deleita en el castigo de los malvados, los injustos. Well, not so. The Bible says God does not desire the death of the wicked. He wants all to come to him and be saved. Dios no desea la muerte de los malvados. This is not a symbol of delight. This is a symbol of, of the Lamb of Jesus exercising complete authority over this whole thing. He has authority. Jesús está ejercitando autoridad sobre esto. And in, in this idea of watching this go on is that he is going to make sure at this point that that no evil thing, no evil force will ever, ever abuse or touch his people or his good creation ever, ever again. Él va a asegurarse que ninguna fuerza malvada toque a su pueblo o a su creación. Jamás. There's a lot of mystery here, isn't there? And I have to say that we don't understand all the mysteries of heaven and hell. No comprendemos los misterios del cielo y de la tierra. So what are we to do? Well, verse 12 tells us what to do. It says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commands and remain faithful to Jesus. En eso consiste la perseverancia de los santos, los cuales obedecen los mandamientos de Dios y se mantienen fieles a Jesús. In other words, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Follow the Lamb. Fijen la mirada en Jesús y sigan al Cordero. And what will be the result of that? ¿Cuál será el resultado? Verse 13, a voice from heaven says, Write this down, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Una voz dice, escribe, dichosos los que de ahora en adelante mueren en el Señor. Sí, dice el Espíritu, ellos descansarán de sus fatigosas tareas, pues sus obras los acompañan. For those who follow the Lamb, who trust in Jesus Christ alone and not in themselves or any other thing, death will no longer be a curse. La muerte ya no será maldición para los que siguen a Jesús. 
From the time of Adam and Eve, death has been the curse upon the, sin, the sinful human race. But now, because of Jesus, for those who trust in him, follow the Lamb, death is no longer a curse. Death is the doorway to blessing. La muerte ya es la puerta de la bendición. It's what the Apostle Paul, the early church leader Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, because I get Christ there too. Para mí el vivir es Cristo, dijo Pablo, y el morir es ganancia. That's good news. And then the rest of chapter 14, basically from verse 14 on to the end, we find outlined two phases of the harvest, of God's great judgment. Vemos dos fases de la cosecha o del juicio. And uh, in this process, what we're seeing is kind of a sorting out, a kind of a separating out between God's people and those who are not. Es una separación entre el pueblo de Dios y los que no son del pueblo de Dios. It starts in verse 14. There is this Christ-like figure that comes down, like a son of man. Ahí está figura como Cristo que desciende. He's got a crown of gold, he's on a cloud, and he's got a sharp sickle in his hand. Tiene una hoja en la mano. And in verse 15, another angel says to him, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Dice un ángel, mete la hoja y recoge la cosecha. Ya es tiempo de cegar, pues la cosecha de la tierra está madura. And so, he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. El que estaba sentado sobre la nube pasó la hoja y la tierra fue cegada. What is this? This is... The harvest of the righteous, of God's people. La cosecha de los justos, los de Dios. And this harvest is a joyful thing. This is what the 144,000 were singing about. Es algo de gozo. It's a wonderful thing. In fact, Jesus himself in John chapter 4, verse 35, talked about this coming harvest. Jesús lo habló en Juan 4, 35. He said, lift up your eyes. Look to the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Dice, abren, miren los campos sembrados. Ya la cosecha está madura. He says, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Ya el segador recibe su salario y recoge el fruto para vida eterna. Ahora tanto el sembrador como el segador se alegran juntos. It's a joyful thing when God's people are gathered at the very end. But then in verse 17, we've got another angel, another sickle, another harvest. Hay otro ángel, otra hoz, otra cosecha. And this is the harvest of the wicked, is de los malvados. And in verse 19, the angel says to this one, or rather it says in verse 19, that the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. El ángel pasó la hoz sobre la tierra, recogió las uvas y las echó en el gran lagar de la ira de Dios. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia or uh, 180 miles. Las uvas fueron exprimidas fuera de la ciudad del lagar, salió sangre la cual llegó, llegó hasta los frenos de los caballos a una extensión de 300 kilómetros. Again, not a pretty picture, right? Not a joyful 
seen as, as the wicked are gathered up, those who do not follow the Lamb. And there's this terrible scene of the wine press. But what's going on here? What's going on, I think, is very similar. It reminds us of a parable Jesus told us. Nos recuerda lo que nos dijo Jesús en una parábola. It's called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. La parábola del, del trigo y la cizaña is found in Matthew chapter 13. And it's this idea that in this world, in this world, you can't always tell who God's people are and who God's people are not. It's not for us to know. No sabemos quién es del pueblo de Dios y quién no. Because sometimes there are those who, who are uh, of God that are not the greatest people in the world. And there are those of the beast that are actually better than the people of God. Hay los que están mejor que, que, que el pueblo de Dios, pero no son de Dios. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how beautiful you are. It's about who are you attached to. Are you attached to the Lamb or not? ¿Estás pegado al cordero o no? And in fact, in Jesus' parable, the farmer kind of makes it clear. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. Matthew 13, 30. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. El ranchero dice, dejen que crezcan juntos hasta la cosecha. Entonces recojan primero la mala hierba y átenla en manojos para quemarla. Después recojan el trigo y guárdenlo en mi granero. In the end, there are really only two options to consider here. Hay solo dos opciones. You can depend upon your own flesh and blood to save you, or you can depend upon the flesh and blood of the Lamb. Puedes depender de tu propia carne y sangre o la sangre y la carne del Cordero. I can tell you our own flesh and blood can't survive the wine press of judgment. Nuestra carne, nuestra sangre no puede sobrevivir el lagar del juicio. Again, a terrible scene, as I said, this wine press is squeezing out blood for 180 miles outside Jerusalem. I say, lagar que exprime sangre 300 kilómetros. And you say, well, how could the Bible be so graphic and terrible? But we must understand that when we see this, there is a flip side. There's another thing we need to understand. This is not the first day of judgment. This is the last judgment. Este no es el primer día del juicio. Let's go back to the first day. Vamos al primer día. And it all began not with a wine press, but in a place that had an olive press. For squeezing olives. Comenzó en un lugar de una almazara, una prensa de olivos. The place was called... Gethsemane, Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives. In Luke chapter 22, Lucas 22, Jesus there was in that place of the olive press and it says he prayed and he said in verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of judgment from me, yet not what my will, but yours be done. Oro Jesús, Padre, si quieres, no me hagas beber este trago amargo de tu juicio, pero que se cumpla mi voluntad. And it goes on to say that being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Estaba angustiado y se puso a orar con más fervor y su sudor era como gotas de sangre que caían a tierra.
before that final day of judgment, we must understand there was another day where Jesus felt the press of judgment. Jesús sintió la prensa del juicio. And the following day on the cross, that press came upon him in full weight as the judgment of God for sin, the judgment due to us was put on him. El juicio de Dios por el pecado fue puesto en él and his blood flowed outside the city. Fluyó su sangre fuera de la ciudad, not just 180 miles, mind you. His blood on that day flowed throughout the world, throughout the universe, so that it could flow and touch even you and even me. Fluyó hasta nosotros. That's the good news. And I believe Revelation 14 does not have a negative message for us today. It has a positive message. And the message is this, that because of Jesus, we who follow him need not live in terror of judgment day. Los que seguimos a Jesús no tienen, tenemos que tener miedo del día de juicio. We're not called to be afraid of judgment day, but to fear Jesus, follow him, and to get ready for the harvest. Debemos prepararnos para la cosecha. How? By living and dying in relentless pursuit of Jesus. For us to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's how you get ready for the harvest. Sigan a Jesús viviendo y muriendo en pos persistente de él. See, in the end, Jesus will be one of two things for us. Either he is your eternal comforter or he is your eternal judge. O él es tu consuelo eterno o tu juez eterno. And so that raises the question, who will he be for you? Who will Jesus be for you? He wants you to make him your comfort. ¿Quién será Jesús para ti? God's word, I think, is encouraging us to be faithful laborers in the harvest field, to, to, to be uh, uh, preparing for God's harvest by, by witnessing and worshiping the Lamb. Queremos prepararnos para la cosecha, obrando en su mies, adorando y dando testimonio del Cordero. So, this morning, partaking in the Lord's Supper, is really an opportunity to taste the first fruits of Jesus' body and blood given for us. This is kind of like the first taste of Jesus' body and blood given for us. La Santa Cena es como la primera prueba del cuerpo y de la sangre de Jesús que se dieron por nosotros. At this table, we have an opportunity to understand that God has a bigger plan. Jesus has gone through the press of the cross for you and me. And he offers us his body. He offers us his blood. Jesús nos ofrece su cuerpo y su sangre. And the invitation is Take advantage of that. Today is the day to come to the Lord. Today is the day to believe in Him. Hoy es el día para creer en el Señor. And if you are 
desiring that, then the invitation is come and eat and drink. Coman y beban. Eat and drink in faith and then follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Sigan al Cordero a donde quiera que va. I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to this table. We are humbled by your great plan. Tu plan es maravilloso, Señor. None of us is worthy. There is only one who is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. Digno es Jesús el Cordero que fue sacrificado por nosotros. It is by your sacrifice, Jesus. By your blood spilled, by your body crushed, that we have the promise and the gift of life eternal. To live and to die in the comfort of Jesus Christ. There is no greater thing. En tu cuerpo y sangre tenemos la promesa de la vida eterna, vivir y morir en el consuelo de Jesucristo. And so, Lord, search our hearts. By coming, none of us is saying we boast in ourselves. By coming, we say our eyes are fixed on you. We worship you. We want your mark on our lives, not just on our heads and our hands, but on our, our hearts and our actions. Queremos tu marca no solo en la frente y la mano, sino en nuestro corazón y en nuestro comportamiento. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We humbly receive this gift in your holy name, dear Jesus Christ. Recibimos estos dones estos regalos en el nombre del Señor Jesús. Amén. I want to make it clear that this table is open to any and all who are trusting and leaning upon Jesus Christ alone, his death and resurrection as the source of your life, as a source of your hope now and forever. A los que han confiado en el Señor y en su muerte y resurrección como su esperanza ahora y para siempre, Está abierta la mesa. In that coming to the table, you're saying, I want to leave behind the stuff that I'm holding on to, the sin, and I want to grab onto Jesus. That's what you're saying. So I want to remind us of how we got here. The Lord Jesus, the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread with his disciples, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. La misma noche que fue entregado, el Señor Jesús tomó el pan y dando gracias, lo partió y se lo dio a sus discípulos diciendo, Tomad, comed, este es mi cuerpo que por vosotros es partido. Haced esto en memoria de mí. And after they had supped in the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the New Testament, the new agreement made in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. 
This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Después de la misma manera tomó la copa y la bendijo diciendo, esta copa es el nuevo pacto en mi sangre para la remisión, el perdón de pecados. Haced esto cada vez que tomad de ella en memoria de mí. I want to invite our serving elders to come forward. As they come forward, just a few words of instruction. If you're not sure where you are in this process of trusting in Christ and you you need more help with that process, you are not in any way forced to come to this table. We would almost prefer that you take this time to meditate where you are. Si no estás seguro, segura de su relación con el Señor, pueden meditar y observar. You can observe and you can pray uh, uh, before partaking, uh, maybe down the road at another time. Also, to be clear, we have two options for the Lord's Supper. You can take one piece of bread and one cup. That is what you can take. Or we have a package with both the cup and the bread inside of it. It's a prepackaged thing that you open. Just take one of those. You don't need to take the bread or the cup outside of those packages. So either option is fine. Tenemos, el, pueden agarrar un pedazo de pan y una copita. O tenemos paquetes que llevan en sí el pan y la copa. Y solo necesitan el paquete si prefieren eso.